Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode seven. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In this episode, I'm talking with Jeevana Heyman about duality, the up and down, black and white, light and dark, both and nature of life. We talk about how attachment to outcomes or the stories we tell ourselves keep us in a place of suffering and the antidote to that. Spoiler alert, it's non-attachment and acceptance. (laughs) We'll discuss personal experiences and practical ways that we each work with our emotions and our grief in our yoga practice. And we also talk about the danger of spiritual bypass and how embracing the fullness of our human experience honors the yoga teachings and helps us accept ourselves as we are. Here we go. Hey, Amber. Hey, how's it going? I'm okay. How are you? I'm okay. Up and down. Up and down. Oh, there we go. Well, that's perfect because that's the theme for our talk today. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to talk about (laughs) duality. The infuriating nature of duality. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Up and down. Um, Yeah, yeah, me too. It's been a rough week. I, my, one of our dogs died this week and I'm just, you know, it's, it's amazing how dogs can get into your heart. I think I, um, I don't know, you know. Yeah, I, my dog passed away a couple of years ago and I remember how hard it was, especially with her being sick for a long time. And yeah, they really are part of the family. So I'm so sorry y'all had to go through that. It was really rough. And I I think a lot of people can relate to how hard that is. Yeah. I mean, I think I get along better with dogs than with people, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I get that. (laughs) So yeah, it's it's really really something. But yeah, he he was... um, he was pretty old. He was 14 and had gotten really sick the last few months. So it's actually, you know, it's kind of a relief that he's not suffering, but, um, I miss him. He was just so sweet. He was such a like easygoing, (laughs) (laughs) peaceful guy. So I learned a lot from him. Um, and, and how are you doing? I'm okay. I've had a really busy week. Um, had a, a few like technology problems and things like that. So, but also some, you know, kind of big wins stuff that I can't really like share yet, but I'm excited to introduce to folks when it's time. And I don't know, I've been thinking a lot about this sort of like up and down situation that we find ourselves in. And So I wrote this piece like a few weeks ago at this point, um, kind of just talking about that up and down uh, thing that I'm noticing during this time, like everything is okay, but also nothing is okay. And like, I'm really struggling on a day to day basis, but also I'm thriving. I'm like reinventing my business and my career. And, you know, um, I'm like really concerned about the way that the political situation is in the United States and... I'm encouraged that so many people are participating in the political process at the same time, like noticing these like complete opposite things that both seem true to me at the same time. And you, you know, yoga is so much about duality. And I think like the reaction of this piece was people were really resonating with it and feeling that 
oh, wow, I thought I was the only one that was kind of like swinging wildly between these two sort of opposing truths. And so that's what I wanted us to talk about today, because I know you love talking about this part of yoga philosophy. So yes, yes, my favorite thing. I love talking about it. You know, I, I love that article. I would say an article, that piece you wrote. I mean, the thing is, your your like simple little like Facebook blog, uh, Instagram posts are just so amazing. <laughs> you just like, <laughs> You just like, you know, toss them off like nothing, but they're just amazing. And I, I know that um, your followers really appreciate them, too. Anyway, I thought that one was really profound because this whole, I mean, that's a, it's a big issue in life is to be able to be okay with duality. And I would say more than duality with like things that don't fit together easily, like um, or like um, like a paradox, maybe. I don't know what the word is exactly, but like when you know, it's like you can feel very different emotions at the same time. You can be like really relieved and really upset and, mm-hmm. and sad. Like my with my dog passing, like I feel relieved in a way because he was really sick. So there's a relief there. But also I'm like really disappointed and sad and heartbroken. So it's comp- life's complicated. And I think we tend to oversimplify, you know. Um, so I love that. I love that you're willing to basically say that, that you know that life's confusing and complicated um and it's not simple and sometimes i think social media is the problem like we oversimplify (laughs) right you know right and well or we just have this perception that everyone else has their life together and we don't right because when we look at social media like since you brought that up we are seeing everyone else's like highlight reel and best of, right? (laughs) Normally we don't share on those days that we can't get out of bed or that we, you know, yell at our kids or that we forgot something and disappointed our partner. Like we don't share that. We only share the best of. And so then when you yourself look at social media, you've seen everyone else's greatest hits and you're sitting there in the midst of your messy, imperfect life. Like, why can't I get myself together? You know? So I think sometimes like we're not even seeing reality (laughs) or we're not perceiving things like as they really are. And that can cause a lot of suffering. And I think like when I start thinking about um, holding opposing truths at the same time, you know, this sort of like I'm struggling, but also I'm thriving. I'm experiencing a ton of grief and loss and also moments of really great joy. Like, I think we we are conditioned by dominant culture to sort of have this black and white thinking. Um, I think it's easier for our brains to like grasp onto, right? Human brains love certainty. Certainty means that you can relax because you're safe, right? And so like our primitive brains are very um, interested in protecting us from perceived threats. And so uncertainty, our brains actually perceive as a threat. And we feel that in the body. We feel that in, you know, anxious thoughts. We feel it in being confused over what we should do in a situation, you know, those types of things. And actually the reality of human existence and of being a human with a mind is that suffering exists. Like, what if, (laughs) what if when we were raised uh, or like, you know, and not just by our families, but conditioned by society and all the messages around us, not to always think that we deserve happiness at all times that, you know, once we have the degree, the perfect body, the relationship, the family, the house, like whatever it is that we think we need, like then, you know, we will be at peace forever, 
right? That's sort of like the promise, I think, of dominant culture in the way that like capitalism sells us, you know, we should constantly be like working on ourselves so that once we get perfect, we'll never have another like negative thought or feeling. And actually no one gets to experience that. Like being human means sorrow and joy, grief and celebration, like good and bad, you know, light and dark. And so I think that's one of those things from yoga philosophy that like, what if we just knew that suffering was like part of the job? <laughs> you know, what if, or like not suffering, but um, what if we knew that like there was both, there was always going to be both. Like to me, that removes a little bit of suffering. If like your expectations are already set up that like your life isn't going to just be happiness and joy. And actually when grief and pain happens, it doesn't mean that anything has gone wrong. Um, and like wrapping my brain around that, I think has been really big for me. And like one of the biggest gifts that the yoga practice has given me that like when we can start to accept reality as it is, like as it's actually happening to us, then we do suffer less because we're not in that space of resistance and struggle. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I actually, it's funny because I was kind of thinking the same thing that I think part of the reason why we don't want to accept this duality is that we want it to be all good all the time. You know, we just want the positive and not the negative and they go together. You know, it's like the joy we have is actually balanced by the pain and the sorrow that we experience. And, you know, it's like you struggle and struggle, but like, that's how you learn amazing lessons and grow and get a lot of wisdom. So there's this, like, like you said, that's like the fullness of our experience. I mean, I know for myself, like I, you know, my mom died three years ago and that kind of led me on a real different path. I started having like severe anxiety and I went, I started going to a yoga therapist, actually, um, my friend Sherry Clampett and, and like, she's taught me so much part of, part of what I think I was getting from her. Like I had been in regular talk therapy before, mm-hmm. but what I got to experience with her in, in, in her, she has like this really beautiful kind of yoga therapy is just exploring my emotions and really just allowing them to be expressed as part of my yoga practice. And I, and I love that. Like, I love that, that, I don't know, invitation to bring my emotions into my practice rather than to use a practice to control my mind. Mm. And, and I think that's where we often get stuck in yoga is that we, you know, if you like the way that we define yoga is usually with like Patanjali's Second Sutra, you know, Book One, Sutra Two, Yoga Chitta Vritti Narodha, which is like we translate as yoga is a control of the thoughts in the mind, and and those thoughts actually, the vrittis he's talking about also our emotions. So in a way, we define yoga as like controlling the emotions, and I just don't think I don't think that's what he's trying to say. I actually think mm-hmm. it's a mis- misinterpretation. What I've been trying to do, and I haven't say I can't say I've been completely successful, but I've been getting better at expressing my emotions. And I think part of it is being a man, just that I was, even though I'm gay, like I still was trained to like not express my feelings. And and that also meant internally not expressing them to myself, you know? So mm-hmm. I think I spent a lot of my life just pushing negative feelings away. And I think that's where some of where my anxiety comes from is just like, not, like being afraid of my own emotions. Um, yeah. that can, that kind of turned into anxiety for me. And I don't know. And like, just feel like allowing myself to cry is something that's really, it's really hard for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, the only place it happens for me is on my mat. 
Like that is the only place I can cry these days and forever. And, and I like, thank God for that. Like that has become an amazing outlet for me. Um, I also feel joy there. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm depressed. Right. I mean, I am sometimes, but, uh, you know, um, it's just, it feels more real. It feels like I'm not going into my practice to look for a way out of life, but a way in. Mm-hmm. And um, like you said, like to experience the fullness, isn't that what you said? Like the fullness of our lives. That's how, you know, we can't just have the the good stuff without the bad stuff. Like it just, that's the duality of, of life. Yeah. And I'm happy to talk about it philosophically too, but I was trying to be more like actually sharing my experience. No, but, I love that. I think it's, you know, it's probably a lot more relatable to folks. And, you know, I think that many of us um, were socialized to ignore our emotions, to, you know, push them down, that certain emotions are acceptable and certain aren't. Like people raised and socialized as women are often uh, not, are often discouraged from expressing anger as an emotion, whereas men uh, people raised and socialized as men generally are not right, and so um, it's it can be really specific to your lived experience. But I think all of us probably have some experience of being uh, discouraged from expressing ourselves and and talking about our feelings. And I think that yoga and this idea of working with the mind are actually a really interesting way of. Um, and sort of like curious way of exploring our thoughts and feelings because we get to remove judgment from it. At least if we're sort of trying to practice yoga, right? That when we think about, you know, I think duality, this whole like being able to live with duality and like live with the the up and down of life as it actually is, is um, grounded in being able to practice non-attachment, right? Because... I think the more we get attached to the outcomes of a certain situation or like get attached to the way the word should, right. Then, then we cause ourselves suffering. And I'll just give you an example from my own personal life, um, that when the pandemic started, uh, back in March, um, and I had to cancel basically every event that I had planned and worked so hard to fill for 2020 and all of that. And, you know, like, teaching in person is my favorite part of my work. You know, I do all this other computery stuff just to like be able to be in that, in the room with people and create that space that doesn't exist anywhere else and all of that, you know? And so I was very connected in my mind to like, that's the work that's important. That's the work that makes my job, you know, worthwhile and me able to, you know, work so hard and all those things. And I just do these other things to support that. And like, and then everything canceled. And if that, and that was still my thought that like the important work is over, it's all canceled. Like, and now I just have to be on the computer all the time. And when that was my default thought, I was like suffering so much. Like mm-hmm. I probably spent a good month, month and a half there. Like Every single day, getting up, feeling like I didn't want to sit down at the computer. I didn't want an online teaching job. Like I build community in person. You know, I had this whole story that I was telling myself about the impact that I could make and, you know, what it was or wasn't now that everything was online. And I was really resisting against the reality that I'm not going to be able to teach again in person probably until at least a year, right, from that point. 
And we don't actually know. It could be more than that. Um, and so uh, it could be more than that time until we're able to like gather people together in, in a safe way. And so while I was struggling against like the way that reality actually was, which like the work now is online. <laughs> this is the work. This is where the impact is. Um, and I've seen that like we had over 300 people sign up for the accessible yoga training. The first time we brought that online, we had over 200 people that are taking Kelly Palmer's race and equity course right now. We're going to be doing other things through the training school that like have made the impact of what I was doing so much more than I could have you know, one weekend of teachers at a time. And so like me telling myself this story about the way that things should be, or like I had this and now I don't have it. And that means something about, you know, the way that I can enjoy my work. Like I was so in that suffering place, but literally like changing the way that I was thinking about it from, I miss my work to like, I'm doing the most vital and impactful work that I can do right now. Like it changed everything for me. Like it made me feel like I had a new purpose. It, and and that might just seem like really overly simplistic and trite. And it, it took me some time to get there. It wasn't like one day I just woke up and was like, oh, now I'm at peace with it. You know, like I don't want to say that it's easy, but I do think it's kind of simple that if we can, you know, I think I was really attached to the outcome of like my work being that I'm an in-person community builder because that's most of the work that I've always tried to do in that area. But that really limited me from being able to see the possibilities of other things. And like now I'm actually reaching more people than I ever would have before, even though, you know, it's not exactly the same on my end. So anyway, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I think that's a great example of yoga. I mean, to me, like you asked earlier, what do I think Patanjali means in that um, second sutra? I think you're describing a perfect example, and that is how you how you move from a place of like being what you would call, maybe they'd call like tossed about, like your mind is really um, churning and upset and disappointed and having a lot of emotion, and you didn't push that away. You spent like a month processing that. And then you found some like non-attachment where you're able to like realize, wait, there's some positive here too. I can like, um, yeah, I can handle this. I can be okay with it. I don't know. I think, I think that's the yoga is like acceptance of it. You know, like, yeah, um, I can accept the situation, not that I'm avoiding it or trying to push it away or try to change it. I don't, I think that's where we get a little confused with yoga. I think it's more like, I think Patanjali is saying yoga is making peace with your mind. And like, like I would even say, you know, a peace, a making peace between your heart and your mind or something. So it's like, it's like, um, actually it's funny because we often talk about yoga meaning union. And, um, I kind of want to talk about that because of this topic of duality, because, there is a, there's a lot of tension, I think, in the yoga teachings between the idea of duality and non-duality. And I think people get confused there. I mean, I do. I get confused there all the time. But I think it's really at the heart of the teachings. I, I think um, there is this idea of unification of yourself, like being feel, feeling like, like whole and complete. There is that. But um, interestingly enough, I think that what he's what Patanjali is teaching is actually to, um, to not identify with the body mind and actually separate 
the spirit and the essential self um, from body-mind. So he basically explains that the problem that we're facing, this is especially in, in chapter two, he's like describing in book two, he describes that, um, you know, we have the, the obstacle that we're facing is ignorance of our spiritual nature. That's our main obstacle to our um, enlightenment and understanding. And that ignorance stems from identification with the body-mind, right? That's what the ego means too. Egoism, he explains, is actually mistaking the, the mind and the ego mind for spirit. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Is that, like, mm-hmm. I, I love that idea that he gives us. Like ego is basically like a case of mistaken identity. Mistaken identity, yeah. <laughs> you know, like you think it's actually your body-mind that's doing all this, but actually he's saying it's really spirit. That's what he's trying to teach us. And so at, there's this kind of funny thing to me that he's saying yoga is really about separation and actually beginning to see clearly. And he, use, he uses um, my favorite word which these days, which is viveka in Sanskrit, which is clear vision, which I know I probably talk about a lot. I'm just kind of obsessed with this idea. Sometimes he calls it, it's like um, uh, discriminative discernment, um, being able to see clearly. And he says, the way that we avoid being suffering and being in pain is actually seeing this, the difference between what's body, mind and what's spirit and really starting to identify more with spirit, knowing that you're, that there's part of you that will always be there. That's always been there and will never change. Right. There's like part of us that's eternal. And that that's what spiritual practice is about. Um, at least in yoga is identifying with that eternal place. Right. Because yeah. And I think that, you know, dominant culture teaches us that we are that perfect body we're supposed to have. We are the job. We are, you know, our thoughts about our bank account or, you know, the way that other people treat us or the stories we have about being rejected by everyone or, you know, those all of those things. I think that we get we get it twisted and we get mixed up in thinking that those are the things that define who we are, like the labels and the roles that we play. And I think that journey of yoga is really about, you know, looking inward and really remembering who we are at our core, like that mistaken identity, like clearing that up that, you know, your um, approval from your friends or your family or how much money you make or whether you're in a relationship or not, like those things don't determine your worth. And actually that you already are worthy, right? Yoga teaches us that we're not, there is no lack. There is no um, thing that you need to do to earn your right to exist. And I think it is about that, um, you know, making friends Mm -hmm. with your mind. I love that phrase, which is like a a wording that you taught me. Um, And to me, making friends with my mind actually means that I'm not struggling against myself all the time, which you know, it give going back to the previous example about all my work getting canceled and me having to reinvent myself during the pandemic and figure out like, what's the business now? What, what's my teaching now? You know, I think that my mind really wanted to be in, like it wanted to tell a story about what that meant about my work going forward. You know, that wasn't possible to make the same impact or something like that. And I think making friends with your mind, like to me means that I'm not actually trying to argue with myself and being like, actually, it's going to feel exactly the same when I teach online. No one's going to notice that it's different. Like I'm not lying to myself and saying that. I'm just trying to like 
accept what's real and without judgment, right? The circumstance is not all my work has changed and I won't make an impact anymore, right? Like that's a judgment that I'm making based on future things that haven't happened yet. Like it might as well be as delusional as like dinosaurs are going to shoot laser beams at us tomorrow. Like you actually don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, Life (laughs) is full of surprises. Thank you, 2020. (laughs) Right. And so I think that, you know, instead of trying to guess what, what might happen in the future and like protect ourselves from having some future feeling we don't want to have instead, like meeting ourselves. Cause that's what our brain's trying to do in those moments, right? It's trying to find some kind of certainty or trying to resist the fact that you're in an uncertain circumstance, right? There was never any guarantee that I was going to get to do all of these events in 2020, right? I could have gotten sick regardless of a pandemic. Something else might have happened where I had to like take care of a family member and I'd have to cancel anyway. Like there's no guarantee. And so like staying in this place of like, it should be this way or why is this so hard? Or, you know, that sort of place where you're sort of wrestling with yourself. I think um, for me, that's like what causes the struggle. And so like Mm -hmm. when I can actually take a moment to go back to my body and figure out what the heck is going on. Or maybe I'm going to sit down and actually write down the things that are like those unconscious thoughts, that conditioning that bubbles up in these times of uncertainty. Like unless I sort all that out and really take time to process my feelings, like you were talking about doing on your mat, like actually holding space for that to be present in the body, to sit with it, to feel what that feels like. I think we really bypass um, being able to like move forward from that um, in a way that feels like integrated, if you know what I mean. Yes, Um, that's what I wanted to bring up actually was the danger of bypass and spiritual bypass here. And actually, well, you made me think of so many things, but one Mm -hmm. one thing that just kind of occurred to me is that um, like in a sense, what I was talking about earlier from my, my personal experience and like how painful it was for me when my mom died and the grief I was having, it, it basically is trauma and it made me think of trauma-informed yoga teaching and how what I've learned a lot from some other from trauma-informed teachers is this the ability to hold space for ourselves in a gentle supportive way and to kind of um, to embrace that tender injured um, in pain part of ourselves and, and hold it with care. And I, I don't, and I think, I just want to bring that into the philosophical part too, and say that that's why, that's why I'm pretty convinced that Patanjali is not saying control the mind, but actually make friends with your mind because it feels very different. It's like a trauma informed translation of the sutras, which is that we need to learn to embrace all parts of ourselves, especially the most tender, because those tender places are actually the most authentic. They're actually the, the, the most direct, like access points to our heart, right? That's, Mm -hmm. that is our heart. So like, I learned about this from being a parent. I just have to say, like, for me, you know, my journey has been kind of unusual because I got to be a stay at home dad with two kids, you know, my kid, my kids are adopted and I, and usually I don't think most men get to stay at home from like day one with a newborn infant. And, and like that process of caring for a baby and then 
trying to parent them um, as I got <laughs> older, like taught me a lot about my own mind and also theirs. And, and like seeing how, you know, not, not that I always did it correctly, but like I could see what they needed, like their mind and their heart and how as a parent, I was, I found myself often giving them, you know, what I really needed mm. and, and I wasn't really giving it. I had never given it to myself, like the compassion to like have their feelings. I remember when they would be upset, like, I mean, even now, but especially when they were little, um, you know, when a little child is like crying or upset, I mean, usually don't criticize them, right? It's like right. You, you're tender and soft with them and you listen and you teach them to feel their feelings. And I just feel like that that's not how I speak to myself. And, and it made me realize that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that really has changed my practice as well. Just like, I mean, I hate the idea of like the inner child and that is kind of cliche. <laughs> But it's true. Like, have any of us really grown up? Like, I, mean, I don't know. Um, when I'm having a strong emotion or feeling that the temptation is to want to, like, push it to the side and not feel it because it feels dangerous or whatever. Um, I know that for me, that's a big signal that I need to use some of the tools that I that I have from yoga to process that. And you were talking about processing feelings on your mat. So I'm wondering if maybe you could share, like, uh, if there's a technique or a particular practice that you use for that. And mm. I'm happy to share what I do as well. I don't know. Tell me what you use. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, is this not a particularly a thing like that I was taught from yoga, but um, it is something that a lot of the teachers that I really admire, I've like experienced things like this in their workshops. I know Ms. Michelle Cassandra Johnson, I've, I've done this type of thing in her workshop. This is not anything new. Um, so I just want to be clear. I didn't like invent this practice. Um, but it's really about like, um, I think it is a little bit like that inner child stuff that you're talking about where your, your brain, um, actually wants you to acknowledge these feelings because when we push them away, they get turned up louder. So like if your brain is saying that something is dangerous, right. And you're having thoughts about like uncertainty, am I going to have enough money? Am I going to be able to reopen my studio? Am I going to be physically safe? Uh, You know, like whatever your concern is, um, that's causing these uncomfortable emotions. I think like getting really like away from the thoughts and the stories and the judgments about it and back into the body is like the first way for me to get there in a way that feels a little safer, Um, even though it can be really challenging to do. Um, And so one way that I do that is just getting still, getting in a comfortable position in my body. So that might be seated or standing or lying down, whatever I need for that day. And then just bringing hands onto body. So I like one hand to chest, one hand to belly as sort of a way to ground, to feel feel my physical body, um, to ground the body with touch. And then notice what that emotion is. So I've been working with a lot of anger. (laughs) I feel Mm -hmm. sometimes that anger is like my default emotion, but I, I really feel that sometimes it's, um, sometimes it's useful and sometimes it really keeps me stuck, um, from moving Mm -hmm. forward. And so after I bring hands onto body, I will say something to myself. Like I want to just notice what anger feels like in my body today. And like, I'll sit there and actually give it words. Sometimes I say this out loud um, if I'm in a supportive place where I can do that. So it helps me to sort of, I don't know, latch onto it a little better. Um, But sometimes I say it silently to myself. And so I will just notice like, 
Today, anger feels hot. I feel it in my face. I feel my face burning. I feel my hands tingling. My stomach feels tight. I feel like a full body sort of vibration and tenseness that kind of like I feel when I drink too much caffeine, right? Like I'll just start describing it to myself. And that to me disconnects it a little bit from the story, from the narrative, from the dangerous thing and reduces it to like, these are literally just sensations that I'm having in my body. And as someone that's practiced yoga, I can tell you as someone has practiced asana, especially, I can tell you that like no feeling lasts forever, right? Like if we do a body scan at the beginning of class and a body scan at the end of class, or even after five minutes, we usually find that something has shifted and changed. And so like this terrible feeling of danger in the body often can shift and change just in mere minutes if we sit with it. And so for me, it's about naming those sensations and it's about noticing what anger actually feels like in my body. And so with my hands on my chest and my belly, I will say like, I am here with this anger. Like I see you, I think that, and then I think about like, you know what? I felt angry before and I felt that feeling move through my body before. And I know that this will pass, but right now this is big and this is hot and this feels really like, um, electrified, but I'm here for it. Like I'm going to sit with it. I can do this. I can feel this big feeling and still survive. And so, um, I, I sometimes if that feels really big, like I might have to ground myself by, you know, offering supportive touch or doing some deep breaths or something like that to calm my nervous system down. And then sometimes like it wants to stick around. Right. And I have to like continue to turn towards that feeling with curiosity rather than judgment. So like, rather than trying to say like, I know it's not yogic to feel so angry. I shouldn't be feeling this. I need this feeling to pass and like pushing Uh it away. Right. That we, then it comes back to like, acknowledging those feelings, like rather than like, when will this go away? We're saying like, there's probably some reasons why I'm feeling anger. Like anger is valid sometimes. Like sometimes I just have to say, like we live in a culture where we are often encouraged to push these feelings away. And so sometimes we have to like, um, convince ourselves not to try to tidy it up right away or like make those bad feelings go away. So I don't, the point of this is not to like get you to like constantly marinate in bad feelings, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but what we don't want to do is like, like process those feelings with a demand that they go away right away. You know, right now it's like about meeting yourself where you are. And so I think like feeling those feelings, naming the sensations in the body, using the practices that we have, like our breath, like movement, um, like the concentration techniques, like meditation, whatever that thing is that helps you to like soothe yourself, to bring yourself down a frequency, remember those resources. And maybe just ask yourself, like, if you want to try to do this type of practice, like, what is a way that I can give myself a little bit more support in this moment? You know, what do I need right now? And that's back to that inner child sort of thing, right? Where you ask yourself, like, if I was, if I had a a child in my life that was going through this, what could I offer to them? What kind of tenderness would seem appropriate there? And then offer that to yourself. I I mean, I I think that's similar to what I'm doing. Um, You know, Sherry Clampett, I mentioned has been, I've been working with her and she, she does that with me too. Like we'll be in a pose and, um, you know, when we used to be able to get together in person, uh, she would sometimes put her hand on the place where I felt 
something happening in the pose and would ask about it. And, and like, it was so powerful to have like another person with me asking me about my feelings that, cause normally I would just kind of just ignore that sensation. Like, Oh, it's sensation. But like, sometimes there's more that going on there. Like there's an emotional component and, and especially when they're intense sensations, usually there's an emotion involved and, and she would really just keep asking me about what I was experiencing. And so I can do that sometimes on my own. And I would just add one other thought about meditation, which is, uh, and again, this might depend on your personality. Like for some, some people are more emotional than others. Like they just have more access to their emotions. And, you know, I tend to be more intellectual and not so not feel so much access to my emotions. So like for me, I've had to work on my meditation to actually allow emotion to arise. So when I'm, when I'm in meditation and I have an emotion, I don't push it away. I actually bring it up. Um, but that's because of my nature. So it could be like, I, I don't know what it's like for someone who's more emotional. Like, I don't, I get that. Some people feel like, like you said, kind of just flooded by that. Um, and then they might need to use a different technique. I think, I think that's the thing about yoga is just, um, you know, you got to find your way, like what works for you, what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another. And we'd want to support um, the places where we need support, you know, just like using props in an asana, it's just like support yourself. I had um, one other thought, I know that we should probably wrap this one up, but just, I just want to touch on um, spiritual bypassing, because I think, I can't remember, did we talk about it? We talked about it in an earlier podcast, I think briefly, but I just, I just don't want to miss the chance here. Um, because I just feel like this is really getting to it, to what, um, spiritual bypass is about, which is this, to me, it has to do with the way that, um, non-duality is often used by people like saying we're all one, you know, um, positive vibes only, like it's all good. Like these things we say, um, that's kind of, it's like jumping to this non-duality where, yeah, we're all one and denying the dual experience that we're having in life. Like life is all about duality. That's like how we started, like up and things are up and down. Like life is like that, you know, it's like hot and cold and um, light and dark or whatever. Like this is the nature of, that's how the natural world exists. It is literally duality. Um, and, and I don't think we can escape the dual world by going into our spiritual practice, it's actually through embracing the duality of the world that we go there. So rather than only wanting the light, only wanting the joy, only wanting the oneness, that that doesn't work. You have to actually embrace the the full spectrum of duality um, in order to get to the oneness. And actually, I would say that's kind of the theme of the book that I'm writing right now, <laughs> um, which is, you know, making me think about this all a lot. Um, but just like this idea of like a full spectrum of experience versus only the good, the good stuff. And I just think sometimes what we're doing in yoga is like jumping to that end. I don't even know if it's an end goal, but like jumping to that place of, you know, non-duality, all good. It's all great without really embracing the reality of our humanity. In fact, you know what, um, you know, Matthew Sanford, who is such an amazing teacher, he, he talks about that, that word humanity a lot. And I just love that when he when he speaks, um, this idea of 
you know, what does he say? Like yoga is humanity on the mat or something. That's totally not what he said, but mm, something like that. Mm-hmm. Like he really talks about how yoga is this like embrace of our humanity and especially regarding like accessibility in yoga and embracing different bodies in yoga. Like, but I think it's more than that. It's like, and I think that's what he, I think he means more than that too. It's like really about embracing the, the fullness of our lives, you know, embracing the, the reality of our pain and suffering, um, and actually, it's it's so much easier said than done. But I feel like that's literally what yoga practice is about. I mean, I, I often talk about the sutras, but going back to book two, like Patanjali begins with tapas, which is about how do you respond to suffering? And I, I think that's the question he's asking us there. It's like, how do we respond to that suffering that we have? That's the question of, you know, because actually to me, that's whether it's yoga or not yoga. So like if, if it's if you're in pain and you just turn away and you know and that's fine like I'm not judging it but like if you just avoid that pain either by deflecting it onto other people by using some addiction to avoid sensation like that's that's the way most of us handle pain but if you want to be a yogi it means that you actually are willing to look at it and and I think that that's to me what defines yoga practice is do you have the the I don't know what like wherewithal um the inner strength to actually face that and and i know sometimes i do sometimes i don't so i'm not saying i do but i just like that to me is a question that yoga is asking us yeah and i think for me when i think about this topic like of spiritual bypass and sort of just you know i think it's a misuse of the teachings actually to um only turn the lens on ourselves right? Like if we only use our yoga practice to like vibrate away all the bad feelings or to, you know, uh, only focus on the love and light and don't be so negative, you know, the kind of responses that we get when we talk about social justice and yoga. Um, I, I really think that's like a misappropriation of the teachings because the point of the journey of turning inward isn't so you can become obsessed with yourself. <laughs> it's so that no. you can remember who you are and touch that humanity and then like realize the interconnectedness of everyone. Like that's the, we are all one part because then we have to like take the action to make sure that that actually plays out on people's lived experience because the philosophy of us all being interconnected, like I think has really practical applications in the world. And we can really see that, you know, the, the pandemic is a great example that has shown us all the systemic inequities that exist in our society. And if we only use our yoga practice to like make ourselves feel better so that we don't like have to think about systemic racism or fat phobia or ableism or whatever, or just like make ourselves feel less stressed, I think we miss a huge opportunity. And then I think it's not yoga. It's just like stretching and breathing practices or whatever, right? That once we realize that interconnectedness, then it's no longer like we're no longer confused about that. Now it's just like, what action are are you going to take to really like live that practice in your day to day life? And you can't, you know, you can't only you can't recognize the humanity in other people and believe their lived experiences and really like comprehend the duality of life while you're only being in the love and light, good vibes only space, because that's not the reality of human existence. Like suffering exists. We know that. Right. And it makes it harder. Like, I mean, that's the thing. It actually compounds the pain. So I guess, I guess my, my, the reason I 
focus on this, and I'm so glad that we're talking about it, is just that I actually think it lessens the pain a little bit to say that it's okay. It's okay to, to be unhappy. It's okay to be depressed, have anxiety, to be suffering, however you're suffering. It's, it's okay. And that it doesn't mean you're not a yogi. It actually means if you're willing to face it, it means that you are. Um, so I guess it just makes, to me, there's like so much self-flagellation. Um, Is that the word? Just like beating ourselves up. Um, you know, over not being perfect. And it's actually the opposite. You know, yoga isn't about being like perfect in that way. It's about being perfect in a way where you're willing to embrace all aspects of yourself. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. So well said. <laughs> we wrap it up there. My dog's barking. Yeah, I think we can leave it there. Um, I, I enjoyed talking about this with you. Thanks for, yeah. thanks for exploring it. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks for writing that amazing article. And hopefully you'll, you'll link to it um, in the show notes. Yeah, I definitely will. So we've been leaving folks with a question each week. Um, and I'm wondering, like, what reflection question would we want to leave the community with around this both and uh, I mean, my, my, my question for people is, are they willing to accept their the all aspects of themselves? Mm-hmm. You know, and if not, why? Just like to really look at that for each of us. What do you think about that? Yeah, I love it. All right. So thank you for joining us for another week. We will see y'all next week. Thanks, Jeevana. Thanks, Amber. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another week of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. We hope you'll join us over at our website, AccessibleYogaTraining.com, where you can see everything we're up to, including our flagship Accessible Yoga Training online. Today is the last day to register for our upcoming cohort that's going to start September 9th. If you've been thinking about getting more training to make your yoga teaching more accessible, this is the training for you. We're going to teach you a new way of thinking about yoga postures and practices that honors the essence of yoga and allows you to design multiple level classes with ease, where students have the ability to practice together no matter what shape or size or age or experience level or ability they may have. In this training, you'll be able to get support from experts around topics like trauma-informed teaching, working with larger bodies, yoga for seniors, and much more with our team of accessible yoga trainers. And since we're learning from home now, there's no travel expenses. You can join us for the live trainings, but everything's recorded and captioned so you can review materials and work at your own pace. If this work is calling to you, we hope that you'll join us for greater equity in yoga. You can sign up over at AccessibleYogaTraining.com. Enrollment closed is today for the course that starts September 9th and runs through the end of the month. We hope that we'll see you in the training. Scholarships and payment plans are available, so check us out, AccessibleYogaTraining.com. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love it if you leave us a review. We really value your feedback, and we're continuing to improve just a little more each week, so thanks to all of you who are subscribing and leaving reviews. We're really having a lot of fun doing this, and we hope that it's helpful to you. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye.